Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of MonarchCast. Today, we are talking about the bombshell announcement of Harry and Meghan deciding they no longer wish to be senior members of the royal family. Um, I'm Allie. I'm Claire. And we're going to jump right into it because I think... There's, there's no gossip a, that could trump this. No, and there's going to be a lot to talk about. And, you know, I've been reading about this all week, and I am i can't say s- surprise was one of my emotions, shock maybe, but um, there's just a lot of angles of this. And, yeah, I mean, we're also – well, I want to start out by saying that we're – Everything we talk about is going to be speculative. So of course, yeah. Nobody really knows what's going on. They are the only um, ones that know their reasons, the whys. Um, the family itself is the only one that knows the hows. But there is a lot to talk about. But needless to say, this was quite an interesting turn of events. Yeah. Well, it's funny because we recorded, I think, a couple days before this happened. And I said in the last episode, you know, oh, Harry and Meghan have an event tomorrow, so there'll probably be some gossip to talk about. (laughs) I didn't anticipate this happening. Um, So I think it's really important. I'm going to say we're not going to use, we're not going to be calling this Megxit. Oh, that was my number one note was we cannot call this Megxit. I think that is grossly unfair. Yeah. We're not going to be calling this Sussexit. Um, We're not going to be calling this Sussexitus. I'm trying to think of all the things. I haven't seen Hexit, which I think would have like, you know, more fairly incorporated Harry. But um, I think we were joking around that this is Harry and Meghan's Brexit, but we aren't going to be using any of those cutesy terms because I'm not exactly sure what you would call this. And I did lay out like some, a little bit of a path for us to use when we talk about this because there, as you said, there's so many angles. So it's really, um, I think going to help us if we follow a little bit of a blueprint here but I I think the best place to start is with the initial announcement and like you know if you remember the day before they had done an event that was like strangely like public private so it was billed as like a private visit to Canada House to thank them for their hospitality over the um, Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays And then there were rumors that they wanted to move to Canada, and everybody was like, no, no, that's not happening. And then the very next day, Harry and Meghan put on Instagram that they are stepping back as senior royals. They're going to continue to support the queen. Um, They're going to continue in their roles, but no longer be, and they put this in quotations, senior, and work to become financially independent as they carve out a progressive new role. And yeah, and I don't know the, if we need to point out the massive contradictions in no, their no, no, statement. no. Well, we were get there, but I think I think what I want to focus on right now was they put it up on Instagram, yes, and by all accounts, quite suddenly. And um, you know, we read later that everybody got about a ten minute heads up that this was hitting Instagrams. The announcement I want to highlight that, um, and the world. The world went a little crazy. The British press has essentially <laughs> lost its damn mind. Yeah, but we'll, we will. The get rest to of the, the world too, because I read, I think, four separate articles in the New York Times alone, mm-hmm. and it the New York big. Times editorial board felt the need to weigh in. I mean, the the global scale of this impact was large. <laughs> yeah, and I think it came out of nowhere because they had been gone 
on their six week break and then they come back and it by all you know appearances it seemed as though they were back and ready to hit the ground running and then the very next day they practically announced their retirement do you know um, what it really reminded me of is like when you go on vacation for a few weeks and then you come back and like you've got to catch up on all your email and your work and everything and you're just like it would just be easier if I quit <laughs> right right and most of us aren't in a position to do that so um it, it was really interesting and um you know the way that the announcement was done, so they have this very wordy, um, really read like a press release caption on their Instagram. And then they say, if you want more information, go to our new website, sussexroyal.com. And if you go to the website, it's not it's not slapdash. It is um, professionally assembled and it's full of information. So it became very clear that this was not a haphazard thing. And the initial appearance is, wow, with all of the information that they've given us, this is a well thought out plan. The palace must have signed off on all of this. I mean, that was like, initially, that was my impression. Because there were some things on the website, and we'll, we'll talk about those in more detail in a minute, but there were some things on the website that require buy-in and sign-off from right. Charles and the Queen. Like the and, name of the website? Yes, and they were presented in a way that made it sound like everybody was on board. But about, I don't know, what do you think, like a half hour, an hour? The statement comes out from Buckingham Palace that is very, very carefully worded, very tense, and basically says, we appreciate that they want to do things differently. Discussions are incredibly premature and preliminary. Uh, there's a lot that has to be worked out. And that was basically it. And so, and it came from, it was official. And, um, so immediately everybody was like, wait a minute, did the queen even know that this was happening? Because it was so carefully tierce. Don't you think so? I think so. I think it was very carefully worded so as not to say the Sussexes had gotten out over their skis, but I think it was very clear from the messaging that this particular party felt no, these are not final, and we don't know what's going to happen. And and I think it complemented the fact also that, you know, while the Sussex initial announcement on Instagram was long and they had this whole website to back it up, it was also extremely vague. I mean, even when they tried to get and get into the FAQs around their funding, it was clearly answered. Um, and so I thought the Queen's statement just shored up that idea that it is all very preliminary and maybe they don't have answers. Yeah, like, and that's what I said to you. I said it's a whole lot written, but it doesn't say a whole lot. Right. And that, I think, was done very carefully. So apparently what happened was, you know, the and I do think that statement was very carefully worded because it didn't say we're blindsided, we have no idea. What did come out is that apparently um, – this is not coming out of nowhere for any of these people. And I think that that's got to be pretty obvious, right? In hindsight, I don't think Meghan and Harry have been happy and it's been clear 
But, you know, from what I read, apparently Harry was explicitly told not to announce anything. And so not only did he announce it, but he announced it and dropped this website. This is where that that gets really interesting, though, because what I read is that he was told not to announce it. And by the way, could you please draft up a formal plan in writing so that we can start to look at it. And he was really resistant to doing that because he said, the moment you put something in writing, that's the moment that it leaks. And apparently he must have listened because he sends them a draft of their proposal. And what do you know? The next thing, The Sun is about to publish a story about Harry and Meghan moving to Canada, which is a clear indication that something leaked. I have, I'm of two minds of this. To get out ahead of it, they dropped it on Instagram yeah. to control the story. But I'm of two um, minds of that because – and we could talk about that a little bit more when we talk about the press. But I think it's highly possible that something leaked and they wanted to get ahead of the story. However, the story was that they were moving to Canada right after they've spent six weeks vacationing in Canada that had just become apparent where they were. When I first read that, I thought, oh, this is some tabloid reporter – making up a story based on the previous six weeks of events and saying, oh, they vacationed in Canada. Harry and Meghan are moving to Canada because there's been stories about them moving to L.A. There's been stories about them moving to New York. So I initially dismissed it as just more of that. Now, there has been some stuff that's come out that says that the reporter who wrote it is friends with the head of the Cambridge's press office. So that's where you get into this tricky business, like, was this leaked in saying, like, right that they're moving to Canada and people will get pissed and they'll see that this is a terrible idea. Like, was this intended to just sort of check the negotiations behind the scenes? No, nope. again, this is like, like we're saying, it's speculation. Nobody knows because that leak wasn't Harry and Meghan are stepping back as senior royals and moving to Canada. No, but I think that would have been extremely obvious then that it is a leak because now there's plausible deniability if it was. Because, right. you know, you're right. Like, the, my first instinct, too, was like, this is made up. Like, they've just been in Canada for six weeks. But then you find out in their statement that they want to also split their time between North America and the Canada announcement starts to make a little more sense. And that, to me, implies it's a signal that we know what's going on and we're going to start leaking out bits and pieces of this story. And I think Harry and Meghan, no stranger to leaks and, you know, what the press is willing to do to them, just decided, yep, you know what, this is probably uncomfortable for the whole family, but we want to be the ones to make this announcement, push the button. I do think it's interesting that now that this is out there, both sides are leaking like a sieve. Yeah. That is interesting. Like, they're trying to control the narrative. I mean, I I saw... maybe four stories about how this is the end of the monarchy and four stories about how Harry and Meghan had well, no choice. And it's like, we you know, can talk about this later if we want to talk about what this means for the monarchy. But I think this particular event is very, makes it very clear the monarchy is going nowhere. Oh yeah. So it's, so I want to talk about, I want to put a pin in all of this and I just want to get back to the point that like, regardless of how it went down, the palace knew this was, coming but harry was told not to announce anything by his grandmother the queen and he did it anyway so that that's like the first shocker right because everybody's like whoa you're not supposed to do that so that like just kind of backs up the fact that like he's he's 
sort of done, right? Because he didn't listen to the queen. Um, and the question I have like related to that is, have they shot themselves in the foot? Because going back to their website, there's a lot there that they seem to want. Are they going to get it now that they've sort of pushed the nuclear button first? Because it's really hard to get things from people when they're really pissed at you. I don't know the answer, but I thought, you know, it was a very ballsy move for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it read like a wish list and knowing that it wasn't finalized makes it feel more like a wish list and it makes it questionable how much of it they'll be able to carry out. And the part that I found almost comical about the announcement is the the noble tone that they tried to to you know strike with we want to, you know, advance a progressive role and be quote independently or financed independently or financial independence or whatever way they they phrase that. But the idea that they are going to be financially independent seems highly unlikely when yeah, you start we to break will, down We will get there when we talk needs. about funding. Yeah. Yeah. Because but that's a I, whole topic that I think we could flesh out in a minute. Yeah. And I think we should because I think when we think about this question of like, are they going to get what they want? I think the sticking point is going to be the money. That's going to be a huge, I mean, it's huge for everybody, right? Um, before, and we'll talk about that. Right now, I just kind of want to talk about like the initial drop of all of this. And so one of the things that I saw, and I wanted to ask your opinion on this, is you know knowing that this has been, now, now that it's come out, that this has been an ongoing discussion. I read one thing that said as far back as March of 2019, this has been a topic of conversation. Do we think this is part of the fuel for this rift between Harry and William? Is I don't know. It, is I it mean, possible that Harry said to William, and I think they've had some other issues, um, you know, I really want out. And William is the one person, he, he, can't, he can't get out. I mean, he's stuck, and he's stuck for life. And do you think maybe William feels slightly abandoned or is he resentful that Harry has this escape hatch? Is he mad that Harry would walk away from his duty? Does he see it as Harry walking away from his duty? And then on the flip side, is Harry does Harry think William's being unreasonable? Does he feel like William is trying to keep him trapped? Does he feel like William's not being flexible? Did William threaten something like, well, when I'm king, I'm cutting you off completely and good luck getting your job at Best Buy or whatever, you know, I mean, who knows? I don't think so. I, and I'll tell you why, because I think that this is likely more of a result than a cause mm-hmm. because first of all, that if, if it does go all the way back to March of last year, that makes a ton of sense to me because if you think about the timing, um, Archie was born right after that and they didn't give him a title. And I think that's a really strong signal right there that they were already thinking future plans. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Archie would not be a part of this system. And maybe they started to think about whether they really wanted to be part of this system. But I think the rift comes even sooner than that, where, I mean, it's, it's a horrible narrative to be like, oh, woman comes between brothers. But like, I don't think it's like Megan coming in and like playing Yoko Ono, but I think it's very likely that 
I mean, you look at William's history, he took almost a decade to marry Kate. And a lot of that has to do with their age when they met and timing and all of that. But he still was arguably as cautious as you could be about choosing his future wife. And Harry was not. And I think there's also a lot of timing issues that come into that too. Like maybe he and Megan had conversations and she's like, hey, you know, if you want kids, we've got to get married sooner rather than later because I'm closer to 40 than 30, right? And there are probably some very real things and maybe they just felt like, hey, you know, you know. But in Harry's family, it was a pretty quick engagement. And I think also seeing what happened to their parents after a super quick engagement, William might have been reluctant to back that wholesale without getting to know Megan, without, you know, some cautionary steps that Harry clearly didn't take. And from day one, Harry was like entangling with the press, like going all in on this. And then you have Megan's family coming out of the woodwork and not, none of this is her fault, I'm saying, but I think it could have fueled William's idea that he was in the right about caution and then you have all of this stuff happening that seems to prove him right and I think when you add in after they announce their engagement after they get married the the problems with the press and the silence of the family in the face of blatant like I don't even agree with anybody calling this veiled racism this is blatant racism um and the lack of support from the family, I think that's what fueled the rift, is like William being part of the family, refusing to support them in a way that they felt they needed. Because it, this isn't just, we talked about this before, this isn't just stiff upper lip, you'll be fine, never complain, never explain. The level of vitriol leveled at them was more violent, it was more dangerous, and it came from a different place than oh, you wore the wrong outfit. It's you wore the wrong outfit and you could never choose the wrong outfit because you're the wrong person because you're other, coded very heavily, meaning because you're half black, you're never going to fit in. Like, that was very clear in the subtext of everything ever written about them. And I think having your family not back you up and support you on that had to be incredibly hurtful. And so I think that's the origin of the rift. Yeah, and I think it's hard because like I think it was one of those things where like, from their perspective, they just see it all as, like, one thing, right? It's bad press. But as you're pointing out, it's a different kind of bad press that none of them have ever experienced and therefore could never understand. Um, I think you're right. And I also think, aside from that, one of the things that probably happened as well is, you know, you see the split in the foundation, And I think that that might have had something to do, and we can talk about it when we talk about funding, is different ideas of what a royal foundation should look like in the 21st century. Or what Um, your role means, because I think also part of the rift too might have been once Megan gets further integrated into the system from day one of their engagement, you know, I could kind of see... William and other members of the family looking at each other going, what is she talking about? Right. Because that's not how it's done. Well, she did jump in, you know, from her first BBC interview, like we're going to be a team and we're going to go out there and like change the world. And like, I mean, Harry's sixth in line to the throne. So I just like could see them looking at each other going, that's, that's not your job. Yeah. I think that's not the job you're signing up for. Were a lot of instances behind the scenes where, they were told to stand down, you know, 
go to your corner and wait to be called. And that would probably rub people the wrong way if you, especially for, you know, we, you can't discount the fact that Megan was doing philanthropy. She was, you know, she had a website. She was getting her message out there before she ever met Harry and was used to doing things a certain way. Um, and then coming in and being told no, 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 probably rubs the wrong way as I think for anyone it would. And then as you say, just add in all the layers of the press and the death threats and the, even just the, like, like you say, even just the, the stuff like Princess Michael showing up at the Christmas lunch wearing a racist brooch. I mean, all of that just i'm sure and having nobody in the family bat an eye i'm sure so yeah i think you know and it's one thing to know what you're get to think you know what you're getting into and it's another thing to experience it and i want to just pause you for a moment because i have one more thing i want to talk about in this like introduction and then we'll jump in to what you're the road you're going down is what i've labeled the sympathetic response so can we just put a pin in that for a minute because i just before we jump in, I just wanted to cover this one thing because I think we'll probably touch on it as we talk about this. But, um, you know, I like said this a few episodes back, but, um, you know, I said I was getting shades of Edward VIII from Harry and Meghan. And at the time I was kind of like joking, but that's an example of, you know, someone who left in a similar situation um, you know, you could make the really superficial connection. Divorced American steals heir to the throne. As we've talked about, these situations are not the same. You know, we talked about Edward VIII, but what does it mean to leave voluntarily? Because Edward didn't leave voluntarily. He was basically told, you don't have a choice. You either abdicate or you get rid of Wallace Simpson. And then we did in our episode, and I would recommend going back to listen to that if you're curious. We did talk about some of the other reasons that probably played a role as well, notably his incredible sympathy for the Nazis. You know, you you can look at Diana. She was sort of kicked out after her divorce. Um, I kind of thought, you know, that was like maybe as far as bombshell, like the most similar situation here because remember when she gave that interview and Mm -hmm. basically like aired all of the dirty laundry and then that's the moment when the queen told charles you guys have to get a divorce and was claiming that she didn't feel supported right right so there's a lot of similarities there but again you could argue she didn't necessarily leave voluntarily Um, and in her case i would say also like divorce was imminent and it would be strange for her to have remained a, a senior working member mm-hmm. of that family, having no longer been part of the family. So right. those all make sense to me. And well, I think you're about to talk about Andrew. That's a whole other thing too. Right. So then that's the most recent example, very recent, um, is Prince Andrew essentially being fired. But none of these situations, this, this situation is new. So... I do want to point out, though, that the Queen has been more vocal about this Sussex situation than she ever has been about Andrew, which is, like, troubling. (laughs) Well, I have a thought about that, and I thought, yeah, sure. 
we like the average person I want her to come out and say pedophilia is gross my son's gross we're firing him but I think I think if as a mother it's probably really hard to call your son gross publicly let's just not you know she's also 93 and of an age where you don't talk about indelicate things um and I'm not defending her I'm saying I'm thinking of like why this is different also this Andrew Andrew was a sort of singular problem he was embarrassing he needed to get out of the public eye but this you have a prince, son of the future king of England, saying he doesn't want to do this anymore. It sort of threatens, does, or does it, you know, from her perspective, she might be feeling like the very institution she represents is being threatened. That might make her a bit she more might. vocal. Yeah. Um, okay. Because so let's talk about, a, you know, this isn't her deciding, right? Like, this is a situation probably for the first time fully beyond monarch control. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is like, it's big. It's really big. Um, okay, let's talk about the press reaction. So you already mentioned this, but like there was hysteria from the British press. No other like, word for it. Hysteria. <laughs> hysteria. Um, I think the Daily I, I, Mail had actually, like 17 pages before you got to anything else. Yeah, it was crazy. And I also was surprised at the volume of stories in the American press. Yes. And so I want to, I want to split them up and I want to start, we already talked about this a little bit, so I want to keep going with that, but the sympathetic response, like did the press, did the Royal family drive them to this? I want to be sympathetic and say, oh my gosh, yes. And like, I did just lay out all these reasons why their situation is very different. I mean, the treatment that they've had at the hands of the press is incredibly vitriolic in a way that it's not for other people. Um, and the family did does appear to have lacked support for them in that moment. However, they aren't the first members of this family. And so, you know, I look at Harry and I have a lot of questions because he grew up in this family. He knows what the family expects, even in the face of personal tragedy. I mean, this is a 12-year-old who had to walk behind his mother's coffin when he didn't want to in full view of the world. I mean, that's traumatic. And so he would know. And and, and I, there's also this idea of like, you know, oh, Harry and Meghan have been driven away and um, Harry's always wanted to do this and poor Harry and like, you know, we're just seeing him finally be able to take action. But I don't know if I believe that because he, as an adult, was a bit, he took a while to settle down, right? But he was in the army and he loved it. And then when he got out of the army, he had a couple wild years. And then he really appeared to decide, I'm going to serve the queen. I'm going to buckle down. And he was like the most popular, most hardworking royal and really did a lot in the service of his grandmother and seemed to do it willingly and happily. So I don't know that he always felt that 
that wasn't a path forward for him. I think maybe circumstances have changed. I think having another person that he's worried about in the face of this probably changed it. And I also think his situation has changed. He's no longer, you know, third in line to the throne. He's now sixth. So I think when you're facing that, maybe you start to question whether you're even necessary anymore. And if you're facing mental anguish over this, why go on? So it's funny because I saw a lot of sympathetic articles along those veins, you know, and another thing that was brought up was saying, you know, he's a father now, he's thinking about his son. He doesn't have the pain, like that almost sent him into a panic because he was like, oh, I have to fix this situation now rather than later. And then another thing that I saw that, you know, I mentioned both sides have been sending out their sort of like talking heads kind of. And, you know, one gentleman was out there in the press and he said that um, they were really hurt around Christmas when the queen gave her speech and they weren't in any of the pictures. I don't buy that. Yeah, I'll get to And they were really hurt by that portrait of the queen and um, Charles and William and George that came out and they weren't in it. And, you know, I think some of this feels like Maybe they were. I don't know. Maybe they were. But as we mentioned, the theme there was pretty clear. It was continuity, the future of the monarchy. Now, maybe the, these are the what same really happened Claire, is who they are see, like, oh, Harry and Meghan got snubbed because they got put in the back row of the balcony. Right. But But what I'm saying is rather than it being like a blatant, oh, I've been left out reaction, it could be a visual reminder to them that, you know what, what is our future here? If that's the future of the monarchy, what are we doing this for? Why are we bothering? And then I read something that said that they had been told they weren't going to be a part of the future slimmed down monarchy, which I don't buy either. Because, first of all, Charles has always said eventually when he's king, it is going to be his two sons and their families. And he's not an idiot to, like, tell Harry and Meghan, two of the most popular royal figures out there right now, that they're not going to be part of it. Uh, I think no one would throw away that kind of PR. So I don't really buy all of that. I mean, a lot of the sympathetic response, I think, when you talk about the emotional aspect of it that you already covered I think 100% any person in that situation would say I need to get out of here I need to quit you know who could blame them I wouldn't blame them but as we've talked about it's a little bit more complicated than simply just quitting your job I do find Um, it interesting though that even amidst all of this the sympathetic response is carrying forward a lot of the problems that they've been facing this yes. whole time. And yes. it's like, oh, you're sympathetic. Like, who wouldn't want to just quit because they're not a member of the family anymore? And it's like, that's assuming they're looking at that photo and desperately wanting to be in it when it's very clear who's in that photo and why. And Harry doesn't fit in that mold. And I don't think Harry would be surprised or expecting to show up in a photo with the future of the actual monarchs as he's never once his entire life thought he was going to be a monarch um and I and I think that that doesn't I think it tries to play on sympathy but also does them a huge disservice by trying to paint them as like incredible maniacs egomaniacs petty <laughs> yeah. and like you know what maybe they are like I said we don't know but like I just I don't really think that tracks and I also was really struck 
you know, I mentioned I was reading a lot of um, the articles in the New York Times, and, and they were mostly sympathetic. But there was one article that was sympathetic while at the same time furthering a lot of narratives that I just was like, hang on a second, this is... This is almost like backhandedly sympathetic. Yes, like, like this doesn't really pass muster. Like, yeah. you know, saying, oh, they've been hounded by the press for her habit of flying back and forth privately. And I was like, I think she did that once. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, like, with her I think, husband. <laughs> I think I've flown across the Atlantic more times than they did last year. And no one would like accuse me of making a habit of it. So (laughs) I was a little bit struck by even in trying to defend them, they were weirdly furthering this, this narrative that got out there and was like, wait, like, what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah. So, so that kind of leads us into the cynical response. And there've been a lot of articles calling them hypocrites. Um, basically saying this is all about money. Um, They want to make money off of their position, that they're frustrated, that they can't make money, that, you know, they want to be free of constraints. I think that I've seen a lot of that. One article wasn't a surprising source, I thought. One was an American publication. Most of those articles have been from the British press, and I think you would expect that, where they, uh, once again... (laughs) completely refuse to acknowledge their role in all of this. How dare they be so ungrateful? They disrespected the queen. I saw one article that was like, they're going to be punished for this. I don't think we have to go too far into this. I just wanted to mention that angle is out there. But I think the cynical response is not... Okay, I don't know what, what this falls under. If it, it probably falls under cynical was all the Daily Mail articles from the psychologist talking about how Megan has like hoodwinked Harry into like right. ruining his life. But right. I mean, that's one cynical response. But the ones that I read that were about, that were calling out the contradictions of their position and their statement, I actually think were a fair take on this because like I said, their Instagram statement had this air of nobility around it. Like we're sacrificing ourselves and our positions because we just want to be more modern and progressive and we want to be financially independent. But when you really zero in and look at the details, not a lot of that makes sense. I mean, like calling your website Sussex Royal while claiming you want to be less royal and that you may not even be allowed to keep your title a bit premature. Um, Claiming financial independence when the part that you're actually talking about is 5% of your income or, you know, claiming to be progressive and modern while still remaining part of the least progressive and modern institution on earth while claiming to fully support her majesty, but also saying you're going to step back from your responsibilities. Like there's a lot of contradiction in their announcement and their position. And I think the cynical response when it points that out is fair. Um, I'm not sure about the the ones that are talking about, you know, oh, they just, you know, couldn't help it because she didn't know better or, I mean, I think I read one Daily Mail article that was like talking with some tangential relation of Megan's and then like sidebar in the piece, they were like, I mean, she just can't help not knowing the difference between a duchess and a princess. And it was like so snide and condescending. Yeah. I was like, this is the problem. You're the problem. And, and like, I just want to say, the hysteria from the press was comical in that not once in the entire like 
two days since they've announced this, has any article come out acknowledging the role that the British press might have to play in this decision? Oh, you wouldn't see that from the press. Certainly no. not. Not the British so, press. So if you want the cynical response, they could write some pieces with a bit of self-reflection, but haven't well, seen that. Well, I think I'll go ahead and say like my initial cynical response was, and I said this to you, was like they didn't even, you know, it hasn't even been two years. Yeah. So I think, if anything, I was surprised that they didn't try to stick it out a little longer. Um, on that surprises the me too because that I the think press might calm down. The press was also pulling up an old quote that Megan used to like to say, which was like, "Don't give it five minutes if you're not prepared to give it five years." And it's like, well, you gave it less than half of that. And yeah, I mean, and who knows? I mean, it's some, you know, I think behind the scenes, it's hard to know what exactly is going on. Clearly, it's monumental, certainly from their perspective. And it may be from an objective person. If we knew all the details, we might be like, yeah, go run. Um, I just I was initially a little surprised by that. And then, you know, let's jump into this. And then I immediately started wondering, like, what does this mean? Because initially I said to you, is this part of a larger strategy? Like I was almost expecting another announcement to come saying like, and Edward and Sophie are stepping back. And Anne, you know, like I thought maybe this was all part of this transition that we're seeing with Charles taking on more power. And then that quickly became clear. <laughs> it had nothing to do with that. Um, but like, what does it mean? I mean, like, what is their role going to be? Because as you say, what does it mean to be a progressive royal, but not a senior royal, support the queen, but spend half the year in North America, continue to do your royal duties, but not take, and you know, we'll talk about this more with funding, but like not take the sovereign grant, which gives you a lot more freedom to pursue other opportunities. Uh, you know, I, I was struck, and you can jump in if you agreed with me, when they just sort of said, we'll continue to take tours on behalf of the queen. And I initially thought, like, oh, senior royals are the only ones that do tours. Like, Right. Why and would that you is your responsibility towards the queen. So what exactly are you stepping back from in that case? Right. And, like, very, I think they meant I, I would stepping back very, from the spotlight. <laughs> I don't know what it means because it sounds like they said stepping back from their senior royal duties. You know, I'm paraphrasing that, but that was essentially what they said. And I just kind of thought, like, why are you saying you're going to continue to take tours and do events on behalf of Her Majesty? Like, like when I read the description of the activities that they were going to do, it didn't sound any different than anything they already do. So that was really confusing, and, and I'm sure that that is a big part of the ongoing discussions, because apparently they're all in crisis talks now, is what exactly are they going to do? Are they going to be like Beatrice and Eugenie, where they pull them out for certain things, but they, you know, don't do a lot? Are they going to, you know, continue to go on tours and represent the Commonwealth? I'm not sure. I'm not sure that they can. I mean, this is where the cynic in me is like, that it was a very have your cake and eat it too kind of announcement because, and these are the contradictions is like, you cannot both step back and continue to support in the way that you are. Like that's not possible. And, um, 
what does that mean? Do you go on fewer tours? Do you go for shorter lengths of time? I mean, they still say they want to support the Commonwealth, but they're like the young head of the Commonwealth. How do they go about doing that? So, Especially if you're spending half your time in North America. You know, sure, if they're in Canada, it's a Commonwealth country, that's one thing, but... Well, there's a whole other reason why that would be tricky, but... Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of it, again, this goes back to we can't really know. It was so vague and so premature as, and as I like you said, it said about, a lot of, and it said nothing. So, and I, I was curious about some of the logistics. Like, you know, Megan's trying to get UK citizenship. I wonder, like, what that means as far as like how much time can you spend outside of the UK? Um, well, and this sure is that's... where the cynic in me is like, are they banking on special status because of their privileged position? Like, living in Canada would introduce similar issues, or are they hoping that? you know, they'll just get around the rules because they're not like other people. But that's not stepping back from your role as a senior royal. That's it's banking like, right. on your role as a senior royal. Yeah, and it's using your royal status. And I think that was one of the things that was clear was like they have no intention of backing off their status and privilege. Um, so let's talk about that. We've been dancing around this. Let's talk about the funding because I think that was the piece that a lot of people zeroed in on and was the most confusing for people because they say they want to become financially independent. What that seems to mean to them, if you read their website, and I got all of this from their website, is that they will no longer take the sovereign grant, which is the money that's given to the queen to basically run the royal family and everybody gets a little piece of it. And they say right on their website, which this shocked me that they and I, I appreciate the like desire to be transparent but I, I I did wonder if anybody sort of more removed from the situation read this because I was immediately like wait what because as you already said their entire funding is only five percent is made up by the sovereign grant so I immediately thought well, how does that make them financially independent? That's 5% of their operating budget. And then they go on to say that Charles pays for the rest of it. And But what was interesting, and I don't know if you caught this, when they're describing Charles paying for things, they say Charles decided in like the 90s or whatever, he established offices for his sons and paying for them is his responsibility. And then it just kind of moves on to the next topic. And I thought, well, whoa, whoa, whoa. Is, does Charles see that as his continuing responsibility? Or was that in exchange for you serving the family? So Yeah, and if you're one. stepping back, do you need an office? Right. But, they, but the way that it was presented was like status quo. That's Charles's responsibility. That, that ha we, we have no say in how that works. And they kind of pulled a similar thing about the security where they said we're considered internationally protected persons. We can't tell you how much that costs because it's against the law. And um, that has to continue. Again, completely glossing over who's going to pay for it. I don't, you don't need to tell us how much it costs. I think we all know it's exorbitantly expensive and also a lot more expensive to protect someone outside of the home country. 
And do the British um, people want to foot the bill if they've no longer senior royals and if they've stepped back from their responsibility? I mean, this is what I mean, Claire, by the having your cake and eating it too. It's like this statement is astoundingly like privileged, privileged and oblivious. Um, and then if they spend part of their time in North America, if they're in Canada, Canada is supposed to pay for that. Is Canada going to want to pay for their security? You know, and, and you're talking about, and they, they even brought this up. What actually shocked me is I told you, I was like, oh, I can't wait to watch today's show. They're going to lose their minds. They were surprisingly cynical about all of this. And all of the questions were about the money because they said, are you going to fly security guards over to Canada every two weeks to trade them out? You have to feed them. You have to clothe them. You have to house them. Who's going to pay for that? Um, it, I, what got me was they had this whole massive thing on funding and it didn't answer any questions and the ones that were glaring questions it very smoothly just sort of glossed over them so if you and made them seem if you aren't used, insanely oblivious to the realities because i read a lot of chatter online where people are like they said how they're gonna pay for everything and i'm like you must not be used to reading between the lines <laughs> because they didn't say anything and then then they say and don't worry, we're going to continue to live at Frogmore House um, with the permission of the Queen so that we always have a home in the United Kingdom. And I immediately thought, the house that you've been accused for years of spending way too much money renovating, now you're not even going to live there full time? Well, you did you also read there? the point, the part in the oh, document yeah. that explained exactly why they chose Frogmore and why it cost so much money because it was I, less money than the other Kensington apartment? I thought it was interesting that they took that web that I thought that website was really meant to do two things. One, pretend to answer questions that nobody has answers to yet. And two, it was very defensive. It was it had a counterpoint for every major charge that's been levied at them in the press. At one point they even said they'll fly commercial whenever it's feasible. Yeah. I mean, they literally answered every charge against them that has come from the press, which I thought I thought was unnecessary and a little odd. Um, but what got me was like this, again, they just totally glossed over the fact that like they're going to continue to live for free in, an, in a house funded by British taxpayers no longer serving as senior royals. Now, look, they all do it. Like Beatrice and Eugenie, I think, technically pay rent, but they aren't paying market rent. Like, let's not kid ourselves. No, and, and there's also the question of, like, if they don't live in Frogmore, it's now been renovated, like, who's going to live there? So right. it would just What's otherwise sit empty, but... Um, and then the other piece that really struck me in that financing funding page was there was a lot of focus on this idea of professional income. So I think in three separate places, it talked about how they're prohibited from earning a professional income and their goal to becoming financially independent, which, by the way... Um, I've seen figures saying that they're worth anywhere from like $20 million to $45 million. And yes, uh, from their perspective, that's probably not very much money. But I think for the average person, I openly sneer at the Removes thought that you can be financially independent <laughs> on that. I'm sorry. I have no sympathy for your um, well, ability and I, to live on $45 million a I year. also i am glad you called out this idea of professional income because the way I read this document was – 
that was the sole reason for getting rid of the sovereign grant because that 5% of income that they accept from the sovereign grant is the only piece of income that prohibits them from earning a professional income. But I don't think that that's true. That is, in exchange for that, they aren't supposed to do other things. But then there's also, like, the idea that, like, you don't profit off your status as a royal, regardless of whether you're taking the sovereign grant. But the family has um, historically not policed that very well. I mean, well, this is how no. Andrew got into trouble. So Sure, but here's the thing, is how explicit are you going to do it? If you're going to run a foundation called Sussex Royal and use that to generate money, which I just, I have to take a sidestep here, and this is, um, this is in no way a comment on anyone's character here. I'm not saying Harry and Meghan are grifters or anything, but foundations, and I do this as part of my job, <laughs> foundations are used to generate money. They, you get a, they have a charitable side. They have a charitable cause. They have charitable deductions, but they are money makers, and the people who set them up profit very handsomely from them. That is just how it is. So if they are going to run a foundation called Sussex Royal that I think it sounds like they intend to use to generate income, professional income, as they call it. Well, they already have the swag set up. Yeah, but in the very name, it says Sussex Royal. Is Is that already a conflict? I think so. And so I, this is where I think it's interesting, and I do not think it's fair to put all of this on Megan. But this piece of it is how people in Hollywood operate. They make money off of their image. They, you know, advertise products and clothes and Instagram, and they have foundations. And they, they make money off of who they are. I would imagine that, and that's how, Megan was making a lot of money doing that before she met Harry. I would imagine that was a tough thing to get behind. Coming from Hollywood, getting in the royal family where you arguably have more celebrity, more prestige, and the instinct to turn that into income is there, and you're you can't do it. That must be frustrating. And it's very interesting. It's an interesting conundrum that they're in because I can see this being the piece that most horrifies the queen and the rest of the royals, that Mm -hmm. they intend to make money off of the fact that they're royal. I mean, we talked about the name of the website being a contradiction. Like All of this is like very... I don't want to buy into like British ideas, but it it would come across as comparatively low class, right? Like we don't do Mm -hmm. that. We're royal. We don't profit off of our own image. But at the same time, from the same media that's going to break them over the coals for this, you have constant howling about the cost to the public of supporting the royals. And so this is feasibly the only way they could support themselves. And so you could also take the sympathetic view that they're doing the only professional thing, the only professional avenue available to them, and that they're in fact answering this, you know, complaint by the public of we fund your lifestyle, go get a job. They're in fact doing that very thing, but they're going to be 
dragged for it. And and it's I don't envy them. But it's them not being the only that. avenue available to them. Harry could get an education and get a job. Harry right? could go in the army. Yeah, but they wouldn't. Let me let me rephrase. They don't. It's the want only to avenue available to them that keeps their lifestyle and exactly. ensures that they'll make the type important. of money that they want to make. Yes. Yes, because we've talked about this before. Like, when you're living at that level, it's not like you and me being like, got to make sure the rent's paid, want to buy groceries, buy some fun stuff, travel now and then. It's like their expenditures are astronomical. It's and paying the staff. From their perspective, necessary. They've yeah. become necessary. So I that's another conversation about whether or not people should live that way, I don't really feel like having it. But I think from their perspective, like you say, it's the only way to make the kind of money that they want to make. Um, and, you know, there aren't that many avenues. Harry's sixth in line to their throne. Like, this was, and like, there's a reason why Andrew has so many shady friends. From everything I've read, his association with Def- Jeffrey Epstein started about, it was like money. It was a money source for him. Um, and he even said, like, oh, I don't regret our relationship because he basically made me money. Yeah. Like, so, and I want to talk about this. So they're apparently in negotiations on how this is all going to work. And I think the instinct is to say, like, oh, they're not going to get it close to what they've laid out there that they want. I don't think that it's that simple because apparently I read that William is very invested in all of this, not just because... He wants a resolution, but he has two children who are not going to inherit the throne. So whatever is decided as appropriate for Harry and Meghan sets precedent for his own children. So he may not, he may give them more than people think he would because it gives his own children more later. Yeah, because his own children, like you say, the successful future for them is not go get an education and get a job. It's go make sure you make all the money in the world that you can make and, you know, fit in with the fuddy-duddies that we socialize with. So, right. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Okay. The other piece of this that I think caused a lot of chatter was the media page on their website. So they no longer plan to participate in the Royal Rota, which is basically the royal press pool that uh, covers their events in exchange for access. They are supposed to generate positive coverage. Doesn't always happen. Um, But it's a very transactional relationship. And from Harry and Meghan's perspective, one that benefits the press way more than it benefits them. So they've decided that they are no longer going to participate. My question is, how feasible is this? Well, I mean, if they're not senior royals, why does the press care about them? But I don't... So I read something that... One thing that wasn't covered on the website, or not very well, is um, when the Royal Press Corps shows up and covers an event, uh, it's a, the everything that goes into organizing that event becomes publicly funded. Ah. If they are not involved, Harry and Meghan are going to have to fund all of their events. That includes security, organizing, food. 
sound systems. I mean, I don't know if you've ever put on a an event for an organization, but it's crazy expensive, and I don't think you can ask the charities to cover for that. Right. Just to have Harry and Meghan show up. So that's a piece of it. There's a financial piece to that as well. Um, obviously, from their perspective, there I read it as like, again, more of a Hollywood way of doing things. You can have all the access in the world as long as you only write good things about me. Yeah, and maybe their plan is to do smaller, more intimate events down the line, which might be easier to fund and cover. I I thought what struck me about this all is none of this involves a stepping back from the limelight. None of this involves less attention. Oh, that's none not of this involves, the goal. <laughs> no, it's definitely, it. it's more, they want it on their terms. And I, I keep going back to the Hollywood and I want to reiterate this. This is not driven by Megan, I do not believe. I believe this is them together. And some might say more hairy than anything because he hates the Royal Press Corps. But it feels like they want attention, but they only want good attention. Yeah, I mean, for all the whining about leave us alone, like, you know, you don't have access to all of our lives, you're absolutely right. This is setting them up to continue living this way. It's just that they think that they won't be at the mercy of this press pool. But Which is a a double-edged sword because they will be free to write anything. I mean, I think from their perspective, the press already writes anything they want, so yeah, that's not a, a difference. Yeah, that they don't. But they don't get any anything in exchange for it. Um, but no, I mean, this is what I mean, like this have your cake and eat it too approach to this whole thing is like this idea of stepping back is laughable because in no way does this set them up to truly step back from public life at all. Um there, this still keeps them squarely in the celebrity circles, in the in the news, in the media, under the limelight. And if that was truly the sticking point, then they would just be retiring to go off into the sunset. So that leads me to our final piece here is the sustainability of this. Um, if they take a step back from the royal family, and I think we're making a lot of assumptions of what that might look like. I think our assumption is that it would be a much more limited role than they envision. Um, But is their fame enough to sustain them without the umbrella of the royal family? Like, is the, you know, shine going to diminish a little bit? Um, You know, we talked about, is it even appropriate to make money off of their position? And, you know, the name Sussex Royal implies royalty. Uh, and in not only that, but people in the inner circle. So does it lose its appeal if they aren't as involved? I mean, I find something very gross about this where Meghan by marriage, but Harry by birth is born into this position of fame and privilege and so-called status. And they, they're effectively going for a naked cash grab off of it. And that's regardless of what we've talked about, whether there are a few really truly other options available to them, it's incredibly distasteful to me. Like this is well, I, not any wanna, different than like what the Kardashians do or whatever, but I think But I wanna jump off that. It, I wanna jump off that because does the lack of choice make them feel like they deserve this? And what I mean is 
the Kardashians chose to be famous. Yeah. Harry was born into this, told what his role would be from day one, and told it's for life. I think the idea that they have a lack of choice comes from a very limited worldview. Of course, they don't have a lack of choice. Harry could have stayed in the army until retirement age and just... Well, no. So apparently he was forced to leave the army because the press kept leaking his position and putting troops in danger. But No, but I mean, had Harry retired as a member of the royal family to stay in the army, that would have been more feasible. And he wouldn't have been in active duty, but he would have continued to serve somewhere in Britain, I'm sure. So this idea that they have no other options, I think just reflects a lack of perspective. And Well, like we said, they're not going to completely walk away and go get nine to five jobs and live in a no, three-bedroom, two-bath house. No, it's a lack of perspective, but I think it's also an unwillingness to acknowledge what they like about this. Like they, they complain and they say, poor us, we live in a fishbowl. I wouldn't wish this on anyone, but I mean, I think they like the money. And I think like, so I just think that this conversation that we've had is so interesting because we started at the top feeling very sympathetic (laughs) emotionally and personal for them. But when you start to get into the nitty gritty, it falls apart. This idea of somebody openly admitting like we want to be rich which is what they're doing I mean I think like I said I appreciate the transparency and I I get it but I think we've we've ended up in a much more cynical almost dismissive place I think I don't necessarily have like obviously I don't have a dog in this fight I don't care it's and I, I just, I was telling you, I was like, it's just so nice to focus on something where the stakes are falsely high. Like none of this ultimately matters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's not War with Iran or anything like that. So it's been kind of nice to sort of observe the drama. It's fascinating to watch it play out. Um, but like, who's going to win here? Because are Harry and Meghan... I guess that's the question. What are they really willing to give up when it comes down to it? What are they actually willing to give up? The initial plans that they set out there don't seem to indicate a willingness to give up their privilege. The whole thing actually reeks of privilege, but they are royals. So as we say, like, is it that surprising? You know, they want the perks and the of the life, but none of the trade-offs. And I mean, my God, like, don't we all want that out of life? I mean, hell, <laughs> like, don't I don't know how many times I've, I've said in the last, you know, few years, I would just love if they would just pay me my salary and I could stay home. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so glad you said that because like, that's exactly what they want. And like we've said, this really reads as a wish list. I mean, it's almost like you're opening volley in a job negotiation. You say, pay me this much money knowing you're not going to get anywhere close to that. But you you know you know hats off to them for starting high i just i wonder like but but going back to what you were saying about shooting themselves in the foot um publicizing your wish list is a bad idea because they've publicized it as fact and if any elements of this don't come to pass that's is that a good look for them Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure anybody looks good in this because one thing that I think this puts in really stark contrast is it's 2020. What is the point of all of this whole institution? 
but I think it's clear that the people involved in it have an have a vested interest in it keep you know keeping it going. And yes, no, I they they do support tourism to the United Kingdom. I think the people that argue that they don't drive tourism, that's wishful thinking. The monarchy certainly is a benefit to the United Kingdom as a whole. Those people lining up outside Buckingham Palace did not just stumble across it. <laughs> right. Right. But here's the thing, like, how... We talked about this when we talked about Marie Antoinette. At a certain point, you have too many people to support. When we talked about, like, the French monarchy and the nobility, about how many people were being supported by the crown, you know, I think this is what Charles has always been getting at, was we want a slimmed-down monarchy so that we don't look like a drain on resources. But the question is, how is that determined? Is it by birth? Is it is it by choice? If Harry and Meghan don't want to do this, does Eugenie get to step up and say, hey, I'll be a senior royal? I mean, does she apply for the job now? Like, how does that work is the question. And I think And I think Charles the timing is also by birth. incredibly tricky because a lot of the reason they still have a need for a pool of senior royals is because a lot of them are doing what the queen would otherwise do because she's 93 years old and can't, you know, work a grueling schedule anymore. And her next in line is in his 70s. So he also can't really do the grind. So if you remove Harry and Meghan from the equation, who's doing the work on all these Commonwealth tours that they're supposed to go on? And... Um, who's picking up the slack, if you will. So, yeah, the, these are the questions that people are asking themselves in these crisis negotiations, because by all accounts, the queen wants a quick resolution so the press can stop speculating and the hysteria will die down. But I think like, you know, it's not just deciding how it's going to work for Harry and Meghan. It's deciding a blueprint that future royals can also use. Because how does it work if you grow up in this institution and you're considered very important because your father is the future monarch, but then eventually you get down to your generation and your brother has a family and Charles seems to envision everything that's very linear down through the air, right? So eventually you're going to get sort of released into the wild Arguably, this is proactive. Arguably. If not, like you say, a bit crass and tasteless. Yeah. <laughs> when you had in the money. But I don't have the answers. I just, like, this was, like, a very shocking development. And um, if anything, I just want to say thank you for the distraction. It was nice to read something. Like I said, the stakes here are very falsely high. For the people involved, they feel very high, but for the average person, it's like, man, whatever the outcome is, I don't really care. I mean, I think there was actually a vote on Brexit last week and no one noticed. <laughs> and Zara had her driver's license revoked. Oh, I, I did see that. Probably yeah. really happy that that happened when it did. <laughs> yeah. And of course, you know that Megan planned all of this to overshadow Kate's birthday, so. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm sure we'll have more follow-up items to, to chat about in our gossip section next time. But I'm glad we took a whole hour plus to hash this out. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting to talk about. 
Well, but like you say, it's all speculation, so we should probably stop. Yeah, all speculation. <laughs> we, don't have the um, we might have some more facts or maybe even outcomes by the next episode. Um, and we'll be back next time with our regularly scheduled uh, Dead Royals series. Yeah. 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 All right. All right. Until then. Until then. Bye-bye. Monarchast is produced by me, Allie. And me, Claire. And our logo is by Ryan Cooney. If you like our episodes and want to give us a shout out, please rate or review us on iTunes or Google Play or whatever your preferred method of podcast listening is. We really appreciate it.